Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, hang out for a second. I have a big announcement. Yeah, coming up this Friday on the After Party Podcast with me and Kimberly, it's part one of our special year-end shows about the 1980s. We're going year by year, talking about news events, music, movies, pop culture, all the things from the 1980s, starting with 1980, 1981, and 1982, this Friday, December 1. But the only way you can listen is by subscribing to the After Party level on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Show. So don't miss out. Again, go to bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash Show. Choose the After Party and Shadow Docket level, enter your information, and you're all set. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast, and now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Hi, this is Bob Vila, hoping you build yourself a merry little Christmas and enjoy an improved New Year. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, November 29, 2023, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 1043 of the Biden-Harris administration, 341 days until the 24th presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram at TheBobSeska, Twitter, BobSeska underscore go, and our Patreon page is BobSeskaShow.com. So it's Donna Halper Day on the podcast, and this particular talk is easily one of my favorites of the year. You might know Donna as the broadcaster who introduced my favorite band, Rush, to American audiences while she was a DJ at WMMS in Cleveland. She's also a professor of communications, a media historian, a baseball historian, and one of my dearest friends. Well, today we talked a lot about Getty Lee's new book, My Effin' Life, and Donna's appearance on stage with Getty in Cleveland recently. We also talked a bit about the rising tide of anti-Semitism in America and a whole lot more. You can find links to Donna's blog and Twitter account in the description under this episode at bobseska.com. Go follow her right now. And uh, meantime, don't forget to support this podcast by subscribing to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash show. All right, here's my talk with the great Donna Halper. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. There he is. <laughs> it's amazing. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's Bob Seska. <laughs> I need to use that. I'm going to sample that and use that on the show as a production element. That's so great. You know what? 
I'm going to start a recording of the video because lately I've been, if, if I'm doing video, I'm going to record the video, maybe use a clip of it on Instagram if that's okay. Mark. We need to be able to prove to people that we're wearing clothes, okay? <laughs> because there was, there was a question about that, okay? I mean, you know, people, people are saying like that Bob Seska does his show in the nude. And I, I want to just say that this is a rumor. It is not true. <laughs> I heard we were talking about uh, Fargo, uh -huh. um, yeah. the TV show um, on FX, and they used in episode two last week. They used Working Man. They sampled Working Man, right? Much to the delight of everyone. Mm -hmm. um, great song. Well, they the producer um, Noah Hawley. He often uses pop music, album rock, jazz, you know, whatever is on his mind. Yeah. And evidently he likes working men and who among us does not. Um, but it was very cool to hear that in the background. Mm -hmm. um, but John Hamm, the actor, the guy that was in Mad Men. Yes. Um, he's starring in this particular series of Fargo. Mm -hmm. um, and how shall I say this courteously? Um John Hamm is supposed to be, um, how do we say, well endowed, and um, <laughs> yeah. The, am, I, am I being courteous enough for your listeners? I, I don't want to. Just fine, just fine. Yeah, I, I don't want to offend here, you know. But um, <laughs> but evidently he um, has, um, how shall we say, um, a nice package, and he likes to. Um, <laughs> Uh, show it off every now and then just to, uh, you know, uh, surprise people. <laughs> that and, is uh, true. yeah, I, I gather that on the set of Mad Men, that was uh, quite the conversation topic, but, um, <laughs> I can honestly say I have never, no, just wasn't there, but people are saying. So, um, yeah. so if we're going to talk about doing shows in the nude, he was, uh, in a scene in Fargo with working men playing in the background and he's in a sauna and then he stands up. Now, you can't see a thing. You can only see the back of him. But wow. I just, in my mind, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if this was like on the set of <laughs> Mad Men. Where, okay, that must have been interesting. That's right. Now there's a correlation between Rush and John Hamm's package. Absolutely. <laughs> amazing. And, Lord knows. Yeah, you, yeah. and you can't unhear it and you can't unsee it. So <laughs> this is a thing that happened in the world, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And, and you just never know what's going to happen when you're listening to The Bob Seska Show. <laughs> and you know what? I never thought we would have this conversation ever, Donna. You and me talking about John Ham's John Ham. <laughs> so I, you speak. know, it's his Johnson. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. But um, there used to be all these great euphemisms for the, um, you know, the, uh, well, yes. lots of great euphemisms. Yes. But we're not going to go into them here because that's just not the kind of show this is. <laughs> that's this right. is a family show. In so, fact, you listen to this show and then you go out and have a family. So this is... Uh, well, well, speaking of working man, I got to hear all about your appearance on stage with Getty in Cleveland, but let's set this up first for all the non-Rush fans who are listening. Getty there published... are non-Rush fans that listen? Yeah, I know. It's so disappointing. Really? I've, I've been trying to you recruit them. You expect me to talk to... <laughs> I, I, 
I'm going to go sulk somewhere. <laughs> I just can't have that. I, there are like, still one or two. Yeah, yeah. Despite our better efforts, there are still one or two non-Rush fans here. But So Getty published his memoir this month called My Effin' Life, which is a great yep. title for the book, by the way. Which really is. And yeah. a couple of people that I know were very upset that he used that title. But I got to tell you, that is pure Getty. I yeah. mean... The reality is, and in, I, I teach, as many of you know, um, I teach courses in communication and in mm-hmm. media studies. And there is this thing, and we all do it, called code switching. Yeah. And with code switching, it's like you speak one way for one audience, you speak a different way for a different audience. Like, I have been known in my personal life to drop the F-bomb every now and then. But in my professional life, I would never do it. If I'm out hosting a show or if I'm doing an interview with someone, I like absolutely not. If I'm going up for a job interview, no. And we all do this. We all adapt the way we communicate. So Getty, when I would be with him in a public situation where he was doing an interview with never heard him curse, okay? The occasional damn or hell, but you know, not even that very much. Mm -hmm. I mean, perhaps he had like mother in his left ear going, you know, Getty, don't talk that way. (laughs) But, But the fact remains, he would just code switch into a more professional environment. But as time changed, I think he became more open about how he normally talks. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, how he normally talks is with some F-bombs. So he jokingly called it my effing life so that it wouldn't get you know, delisted by Amazon and by some of these other companies that if it has a curse word in the title, they won't list it. Exactly. So, you know, how do you sell books in the world today? Whether you're buying them online or whether you're buying them in a bookstore, not worth the effort. So he just used the euphemism. I thought it was cute, actually. Absolutely. And one of the things I've noticed, Donna, and this is, we're getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but one of the things I, I noticed about I know I'm it's shocking, shocking right? I've never I know. done that before. Yeah, <laughs> but with both Getty and Alex, I've noticed that they are far more open and um, revealing about their personal lives, about the status of the band, about stories from the band's history that probably wouldn't have. And this is not to disparage Neil in any way, shape, or form. But when Neil was alive you seldom saw that level of detail about the behind the scenes things with Rush. And that's very true. Yeah. But in in fairness though, Neil by nature Mm -hmm. was a very private person. Right. Okay. Um, That's just how Neil was. Like he was very protective of his parents. He was very protective of his personal life. Mm -hmm. He was just, you know, I would be lying if I said I was really close with Neil. I was always closer with Getty and Alex. I got along with Neil. I never had a problem. We were backstage alone a few times talking philosophy, talking, you know, literature, Mm -hmm. talking music, whatever, whatever. No problem. We were very friendly with each other. But he was a very private 
person. Yeah. And he was not the kind of guy that was going to go into an interview and tell you 60 deep, you know, details about his family or this or that. He just, nah, mm-hmm. that just wasn't him. Yeah. And I think whether dead or alive, and, and God knows we all miss him, but I'm not real persuaded that it was just because Neil is no longer with us. Mm-hmm. I think society on an ongoing basis has become a lot more casual, a lot more people talk in the same way that they do on social media, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing. I have to remind my students about that all the time. It's like, you know, your uh, rant against this one or that one on Twitter or X, please don't (laughs) go into a job interview and rant about your former boss because it's just not a good look for you. Okay. So I, I think that, code switching that we were talking about earlier, I think people are having an increasing amount of difficulty doing it. Mm -hmm. Since the pandemic, when the entire universe went online, it I I just think conversation has never quite come back to where it was before. And some of the boundaries that people used to have, they kind of don't have as much now. So if Neil were alive, maybe He'd be a little bit more open, but maybe he wouldn't because that's just not his nature. And and I'm saying that as someone who there's certain things I will say in public online. There's other things I will never discuss. Okay, for example, as many of you know, my husband has been ill. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the day to day or this or that, nah, nobody's business and I'm not going to put something out there about my husband without asking him if it's okay. Yeah. Because maybe he doesn't want the entire universe to know X, Y, or Z. Okay. There are some people, let's be honest, who overshare. Mm-hmm. And I do not want to be one of those people. I agonized when I had cancer. And by the way, by the grace of God and by the grace of excellent doctors, because it's not mutually exclusive. I'm very happy that some of my friends were praying for me, but I'm also very happy that I had excellent doctors, (laughs) okay? And by the grace of God, I will be nine years cancer-free. Oh, wonderful news. December, much to the disappointment of my enemies, okay? (laughs) But I am am still here. But my point is, when I got cancer, Mm -hmm. I really agonized over whether I should go on social media and tell people. Mm -hmm. I decided that I would, partially because I wanted to try to encourage and inspire other people who were on their own cancer journey and let them know that as bad as it might look, recovery is possible. There are many kinds of cancer that have great treatments today. I wish that were the case for Neil, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately... There wasn't. Yeah, Maybe yeah. 10 years from now, we'll be saying something entirely different about that kind of cancer. Oh, God, I've yes. mentioned that my grandmother pretty much had the same kind of cancer I did. Hmm. She died at 44. Wow. And by the grace of God, I'm 76 and I'm still here. Incredible. So that's something that I thought it would be a good thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, I sat around for a while going, should I? I mean, that's kind of personal. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, there are some people, it doesn't matter what it is, they'll tell you, you know, hemorrhoids? Sure, let me discuss them. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, please don't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, back to Getty and Alex. They were always much more forthcoming mm-hmm. in terms of interviews. Neil could be, but only if he wanted to. And yet, even with the guys, even with Alex and Getty, there were still some things that were kind of uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah. I did not hear a lot of stories about the band and drugs. Okay. Now I know that they partied. They didn't party like the typical rock star. That mm. just wasn't who they were, but I know they partied. Come on. I'm not quite as dumb as I seem. <laughs> they were young. They were on the road. They had money for the first time. Of course they partied, mm. but you know what? They always kept it away from me. They just didn't, you know, it it wasn't in my space. They knew that I didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't do drugs, and they respected that. So when I would go backstage, they'd always have like fruit and salad and cookies and coffee and juice and anything that I might want. And the stories about, you know, crazy nights in such and such a city getting wasted never came up in conversation okay so i'm you know again maybe it's code switching maybe they just felt like i wouldn't be interested but more likely they were just choosing their audience you know there's some audiences that are interested in stories of how in our younger days we did x y or z and i think the book gave getty a chance to have some catharsis yeah it gave him a chance to like go, go through things that Maybe he hadn't talked about much with most people to talk about the death of his dad. He was only 12 when it happened, Mm -hmm. and he didn't really process it. He just got involved in music, okay? And that was a great catharsis. But some things, you got to experience them at some point, and you got to acknowledge them. Um, Alex, who I love to bits and pieces, went through periods of time where he had real health problems Mm -hmm. and he wasn't supposed to drink and it was very hard not to. Okay. And the same thing with various other musicians like John Rutsey back in the early days of the band. Oh yeah. John was diabetic. The doctors told him don't drink, don't eat sweets. He's like 19 years old. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to drink and he's going to eat sweets. And it was terrible for his health. But like I said, they were young. They were not terribly mature about some things. And yet about other things, they were incredibly mature. Mm -hmm. All of these things. Getty has been very open about it in the book in a way that maybe he didn't feel the time was right before. But I think the time is right now. And yeah. boy, howdy, that's a long answer. And Donna, you talk too much. But- <laughs> no, that's why you're here, Donna, because I love to listen to you talk. But here's the thing. Oh, God. Th- there People is- are going to sleep over in the corner there. I mean, I shouldn't take it personal. They're taking out their mattresses. It's like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> But, but back, back on the aforementioned, okay. back on the aforementioned non-Rush fans, the thing is uh, about this particular book, Getty's uh, My F in Life. There are so many things that I think are valuable to people, even if you're not a Rush fan, 
in this book, for example, contending with Neil's sickness and how Getty handled that, how Alex handled that, how the people surrounding Neil handled that, because there was was a lot of secrecy about that by Neil's choice. And I think absolutely there was also a lot of secrecy about Rutsey. Okay, now there were things that you and I know. And when I say you and I, I don't just mean you, Bob, and Mm. me, Donna. I mean the fans. There were certain things that were out there, okay? One thing that was out there was that he was diabetic. No, he wasn't a drug addict. If Mm. I read that on one more person's blog, I think I will throw something at the screen. (laughs) Um, Please, folks, beware of online rumors Beware of people that are like blogging of, oh, yeah, I know for a fact that Getty's getting back together with Alex and they're bringing in a drummer. And uh, no, none of those things is true. What Getty said on stage was that he'd like to collaborate with Alex. I was there. I heard it. He Mm -hmm. said collaborate. He didn't say, hire a new drummer and head out on the road. And yet I'm reading online. People are like, oh, my God, there's going to be a new rush. I no. No. He said he'd like to collaborate with Alex at some point. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be next week? I don't know. You know, three years from Shavuos? I don't know. But I do know he'd like to do it. Maybe do some songs. He said like the the Taylor Hawkins thing was just like, it was just a revelation to him that he Mm -hmm. could get back again and do some music and have some fun. And would he like to go back out on the road? would he like to I mean he was pretty clear in the documentary if there's no Neil there's no rush yeah so all the drummers that are sending audition tapes should probably hang on to them Mm -hmm. because it's not going to happen in the near future but that said he is talking more about it and part of talking about all of it was telling the truth about his relationship with John Rutsey. Now, um, when I say telling the truth about, I'm not saying, well, he lied before. No, he just didn't talk about it because Mm -hmm. it's a touchy thing saying stuff about people that aren't around to defend themselves. The one thing he did say, and I did not know this because I didn't know them back then, okay? This was going back to their high school years. He said that his relationship with Rutsey was very complicated because John Rutsey got into a particular groove or a particular rut, depending on how you want to look at it. And he was perfectly happy just doing that kind of music forever. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Alex and Getty were already thinking forward. They were already thinking that if they didn't have a Neil, they would need to hire one. You know, they didn't know they wanted Neil, but they did know they wanted to take their music in another direction, and Rutsey couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So it was going to come down to a problem whether he had diabetes or not. And he really filled that in very nicely without trashing the guy. They were friends for years. And Rutsey left us with one of the great rock and roll songs of all time, namely Working Man. Yep. Okay. And I will always be grateful. Because that song, if I hadn't heard that song and thought, perfect Cleveland record, this is going to resonate with the audience, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Because it did resonate with the audience. The problem was, the other two guys were ready to go on to the next thing, and Rutsey wasn't. Yeah. Or he couldn't. And however you slice it, 
sometimes you got to make a change. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. So I think the book is not just about processing Neil's death. It's about processing what Rush was, what it became, who Getty was because of Rush. He Mm -hmm. talked about how it put his marriage in jeopardy, something that Neil talked about as well. I mean, when you're on the road a lot, and you and I have both had jobs where we've had to travel a lot for business. When you're in the music industry, you're traveling for business. You're going to studios. You're busy. You're not available. If I'm in a studio doing an interview, if you're in a studio producing a band and your significant other calls, somebody's going to say, sorry, he can't come to the phone right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Or sorry, she's not available right now. Exactly. And the person might really need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. But they can't. And I understand that. I've been in that situation. I really have seen it from both sides. And Getty acknowledged that there were periods of time where it didn't look like he and Nancy were going to survive as a couple. And he owned it. He owned the fact that it was mainly because he wasn't there. He wasn't around. He wasn't emotionally available. And that's a tough thing to have to tell the truth about. Mm-hmm. That makes you very vulnerable. I, I thought that one of the things that this that really impressed me about the book was how vulnerable Getty was. And I'm not saying that in an artsy, craftsy, you know, like <laughs> fake pseudo philosophy and psychology thing. But no, he was really opening up yeah. and talking about stuff that guys generally in our culture have a difficult time talking about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he was just doing it to sell books. I think he was doing it because he really needed that catharsis. He talked about how, like, during the pandemic, he was sitting there just kind of being, like, really depressed about a lot of stuff and just needing a vehicle, needing a way to get something out. And that became the book. And I'm really glad he wrote it. Yeah, same here, Donna. And one of the things that I keep going back to is this interview that Getty and Alex did with Strombo, George Stromabopoulos. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Great, great interview. One of the greatest rock and roll interviewers I've ever seen. And uh, And it is online if people want to see it. I believe it's on YouTube. Yes, yes. And I think that was the first time I saw Getty and Alex open up about Neil's illness and what they personally went through watching their friend disintegrate. And And, and it broke my heart, by the way, to see some of these online rumors about, well, they don't talk to each other. And I knew that they did, but I Mm. couldn't say anything because none of us were supposed to say anything because that's how Neil wanted it. Right, right. And one of the things that was so valuable to me is at the time, my friend Buzz Burbank, my Tuesday podcast co-host was going through prostate cancer and he was very private about it. He didn't reveal it publicly until he came on this show on the Wednesday show and talked all about his bout with prostate cancer. And there was a period of time there where it may have ended up being terminal. And so we were both contending with that and, and experiencing that and not being able to talk publicly, even with friends and family about his illness. So I was going through the exact same thing that Getty and Alex were going through with Neil. I was going through that with my dear friend, Buzz Burbank. Totally I, I understand. Yeah. And so was, when, when they talked about that on Strombo, I was so immensely touched and grateful yep. for that yep. level of honesty and openness about a very difficult struggle. And in fact, I, I sent a little brief note to Getty 
thanking him for for doing yeah. that and explaining yeah. exactly why. It was why. really yeah. hard for them, and they they said that. Okay, mm-hmm. um, when I was up in Toronto in 2019 attending a conference yeah and i had lunch with peggy from anthem you know mm-hmm. from the management company the label i mean peggy is like the queen of everything <laughs> and we're having lunch and i asked her how neil was and she just like begged the question and i said to myself i'll bet you she had to sign a non-disclosure agreement i'll yeah. Betcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because Neil was so private. He wanted people to remember him as he was. Mm-hmm. And and Getty talked about that during the tour. I mean, he, yeah. he was just like the, one of the hardest things was basically, you know, not like lying, but having to just like make like, oh yeah, things are fine. While you're watching your friend deteriorate in front of your eyes and you're going in there and you're trying to cheer him up. And if you've ever been a caregiver or if you've ever been a family member who has someone with a terminal illness, you know how draining it can be. And, you know, yeah, sure, it's not about you, but still you go home and you're like, oh, my God, I wish I could have cheered him up. I wish I could have said something to her to make her feel better, you know, this and that. And it just starts wearing you down. And that's just with like ordinary people. Imagine how it is when you're friends with a celebrity and you know that millions of people want to know how he's doing and you can't say anything. Mm -hmm. Okay, short break. Back with more Donna Halper right after this. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You can't always get a clean you can feel good about inside and out unless you're using Bubble Genius Bath and Body Products. See, Bubble Genius is a woman-owned small business proudly creating our vegan-friendly products in America and supporting other U.S. businesses by buying our ingredients and supplies from them as often as possible. Plus, you'll be hard-pressed to find packaging as recyclable as ours. Visit BubbleGenius.com and check out our cause-related items too, like our global warming soap and a lot more. We donate our proceeds for those items to worthy causes, like organizations combating climate change and mountaintop removal mining. Good stuff like that. We also send our products to the troops overseas through our Buy a Soldier a Shower campaign. Because the least we can do is keep them smiling and smelling great, right? So visit BubbleGenius.com and feel good and clean. Bubble Genius, doing our part to make the world a better place, one bathtub at a time. That's BubbleGenius.com. Bob Seska. All-time favorite. 
just changing gears a little bit, let's talk about how you ended up on stage with Getty in Cleveland, which is so uh, immensely appropriate. Surprise. What a homecoming for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did that come like, together? Yeah. How did that all oh, yeah. come I mean, together? This, but having been in the music industry and you were in it too. Yeah. Didn't you like produce an album? Didn't you? I've done a bunch of music videos. That's I'm sort like, of my link to I'm, yeah, I'm the major labels. With you, but I'm saying like, didn't, didn't you, <laughs> like, wasn't there somebody that you produced and you're voting for Biden? Um, <laughs> oh, right. That's right. Meatloaf. I did a video for Meatloaf. Yes, right? Yeah. Exactly. And um, so there you are. You're like, producing famous people, this and that, mm -hmm. you know, these things can come together in 20 seconds. Like you find out about it. Like, it's not like, oh, for six months I did such and such. And then suddenly I got to produce a meatloaf video. Very often it's like you get the phone call. They want you there tomorrow yeah. and you drop what you're doing. And it's just life in the music industry. <laughs> Ditto for life in radio. I have a very dear friend. His name is Morgan White. And Morgan is just wonderful. I adore him. He is a talk show host on WBZ Radio in Boston. And he has me on about every six weeks or so as his guest. It's a completely non-political show. We talk pop culture. We talk trivia. We talk music. Mm -hmm. I mean, just a nice guy. Donna, what's your point? I cannot tell you. How many times over the years I've gotten a phone call like, oh, my God, one of my guests didn't show up. Can you be on with me tonight? <laughs> it happens. Yep. OK. And it's like, oh, there I am just having dinner. And suddenly, oh, I'm going to the radio studio. OK. <laughs> now, since COVID, it's like you basically do it from home. But mm. it's the same thing. The preparation, the this, the that. It happens. Boom. Just like that. Mm -hmm. So. I got used to it over the years, okay? You have to be able to turn on a dime. So I got in touch with Meg, who is currently the manager for Getty and booking the tour and doing all this other great stuff. She's amazing. I love her dearly. And I got in touch with her when I knew that Getty was coming to Boston to ask if I could see the book talk because I saw the one in 2019 and I wanted to see this one too. Come on, we're friends. We keep in touch. Um, I keep in touch with his sister. I can't, you know, I've been very fortunate. I cannot complain. 49 years. If you had told me we'd still be in touch, I'd be amazed. And yet there it is. Mm -hmm. So I asked if I could come to see the book talk. And she said, absolutely. And, you know, we'll leave a couple of tickets for you. And I said, I really appreciate that. But, you know, my husband has been ill, so it'll basically be one ticket and I'll be delighted to be there. And thank you so much. And because I take nothing for granted, Bobby. Okay. I mean, seriously, they don't have to give me a thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got nothing coming. All right. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're willing to give me free this or free that. I am eternally grateful. And I'm not saying that like a humble brag. I'm saying I'm not in the industry anymore. Okay. They make, generally, they make a list of reviewers, people that are going to be able to like write about them in the newspaper or on magazines, people that are going to, you know, interview them for television, that kind of thing. But friends and family, it's a limited list. Mm -hmm. And I'm very grateful that I am still on it. Okay. So I go 
And I get to go backstage and say hi to him. And we hugged and, you know, we talked about family and we talked about friends and we talked about people we hadn't seen in a while. And it was just like nice to catch up. And I got to tell you, and I'm not saying anything that I shouldn't say because he also has talked about it. We also talked about anti-Semitism because the rise in hatred against Jews is very painful. Getty is not religious, but he's very Jewish identified. Mm -hmm. And seeing anti-Semitism, it just hurts him. Now, I will say the same thing that I have said 3,000 times. I don't want to get into a whole thing about Israel and Palestine because it would take too long. But let me just say, I don't want to see people on either side suffer. I don't want to see civilian casualties on either side. There are a lot of innocent people getting hurt, and I feel terrible about it. But you can be opposed to the Israeli government and still love Israel. Mm -hmm. You can be opposed to Hamas and still believe in a two-state solution. There is no need to turn this into, I hate the Jews, or I hate the Muslims. And when I see people doing that, it just irritates me. And so Getty and I were talking about that, just mm-hmm. about like the those knee-jerk reactions on yeah. social media where people just slide right from criticism of the Israeli government right into the Jews. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, please just sit down, be quiet. <laughs> no one wants to hear from you. You're not interesting. Right. And yet there's a lot of it out there. Mm. And I just, it, it was just making him sad. And he has said that. And I'm sure it would have made his mom sad if she had been around to see it, given that she was a Holocaust survivor. So we talked a little bit about those kinds of things. And all of a sudden, Meg comes over to me and says something to the equivalent of, what are you doing tomorrow night? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, watching movies with my (laughs) husband, you know, Getting, you know, getting my notes together for my Monday class. Oh, wait, there is no Monday class. But, you know, I canceled it because there were various things going on. So Mm -hmm. the students needed time to do their term papers and they were traveling for Thanksgiving and they asked if they could have the day off. And I was fine about it because half the class wasn't even going to be there. They were going to be like heading home because it's Thanksgiving break. And she's like, no, no, that's not what I mean. Could you come to Cleveland with us? And I'm like, excuse me? Wow. She said, no, seriously, can you come to Cleveland with us? We'd like you to be in Cleveland and host the question and answer part of the show. I asked Meg later, like, how did this all come together? Mm-hmm. And she said, basically, it was a conversation she had with Getty. Yeah. And they both thought it would be a really good idea because 49 years ago, where did I discover the band? Where did I launch their career? Where did I first play Working Man? Mm-hmm. Cleveland. Yep. So this would kind of be like full circle, okay? Yeah, yeah. She said, can you do it? I said, I'd love to, but I'll be perfectly honest with you. I got, then I've been very public about this. I have a lot of health problems myself. I've had them for years. Um, autoimmune diseases, they're better or they're worse. Some days good, some days not so good. Mm-hmm. She said, don't worry about a thing. We'll get you a plane. We'll get you a limo. We'll get, I, God bless her. She and her travel agent, they pulled that together in an hour. Incredible. It was like, 
oh my God, I've never seen anything like it other than watching Peggy do it. <laughs> it was inspiring. I couldn't do it in a million years. Okay. So the next day, there I am. The limo comes and gets me, takes me to the airport. And don't forget, I'm just a working class kid at heart. Okay. I really mm -hmm. am. All right. Yes. I was able to be in the music industry. Yes. I met a ton of celebrities. Bruce Springsteen really did drink my orange juice. I really <laughs> was at a party with Dolly Parton, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. And meatloaf grabbed me where he should not have grabbed me. Oh no, really? Yes. Oh my God. Yes, he did. He was, uh, unfortunately, it was during his, he was drinking too much phase. Ugh. And he evidently thought that was kind of hilarious. And Donna took a rather dim view of it. I, it was not something that I enjoyed, yeah. but sad to say it was something that happened a lot back then. And there wasn't one person at the radio station who saw it and who said anything. Ugh. They didn't defend me. They didn't say, they just laughed. Disgusting. They thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I did not. And that's what life was like back then. And when people talk about like the good old days, uh, yeah, the 60s and the 70s were not exactly <laughs> the good old days if you were one of the few females in the industry. Yeah. From what I can gather, it wasn't so charming for some of the few black people in the industry either. Mm -hmm. But I digress. <laughs> um, the bottom line, though, is I'm basically a working class kid. And there are times when I can't believe this stuff is happening to me. I can't believe that, like, I'm on the Bob Seska show. And I mean that sincerely. <laughs> me, on the Bob Seska show. Of all the people he could have had on, he has me. And, like, some of the places I've been, some of the people I've met, I'm like, I was told I'd never be anything in life. I've had records dedicated to me. I've been in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I, you know, I, I was inducted into the Mass Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Yeah. I've had all these things happen. And yet, when I'm sitting in that limo, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm sitting in a limo. And I've been in limos a million times. Come on, I'm in the music industry. Yeah. But it's still, I still just, I'm humbled by it, if that makes any sense at all. Okay? So they took me to Cleveland. And it was a big surprise. And I was sitting in the green room, which is not green, by the way. I was sitting in the green room and getting ready for the show. They gave me my lanyard, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I sat behind the curtain so that I could watch the show. And I saw Getty and Rob Tannenbaum having their conversation. Then Getty read from his book. And then he paused and he introduced me. And I got a standing ovation. Mm -hmm. And I was so surprised. In fact, when people saw my picture earlier in the slideshow, and I didn't see this, people told me about this. I also got a standing O. <laughs> um, I've always tried to be courteous to the fans. I've always tried to keep in touch, but I was still just, oh my God. I mean, what a tribute yeah. to the lasting power of Rush yeah. and the gratitude of the fans to me. Mm -hmm. And I, I just... I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, of course, I switched into performance mode because that's what I was there to do. Yeah, yeah. But I still, I stood out there and I basically bowed to the fans. The video is online. Somebody very illegally, you know, got a bootleg video of the mm -hmm. whole thing. You can see, I just sort of bowed to the fans and I thanked the fans. But I also thanked Getty yeah. because like I said, he could have forgotten about me years ago. He could have just said like, hey, 
We got what we wanted out of her. We got the airplay. And instead, he sat there and he said, I wouldn't have a career if it weren't for you. Yeah. And I'm like, and I am eternally grateful as well, because that's what it's about with this band. It's about gratitude, gratitude to the fans, mm -hmm. gratitude to people that stood by them. There's people in their road crew that have been with them since forever, and now their kids are in the road crew, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. The people that go along with Getty now to set up and this and that, they've been with him since forever. So it was just an amazing evening. I had a lot of fun doing the Q&A, and then they put me on a plane and... Back to Boston I went, and I blogged about it. And if anybody wants to read my blog, I can send them the link. But I got to tell you, I called it, oh, the places you will go after that <laughs> Dr. Seuss thing. Yeah. Because no kidding, if you had told me when I was sitting in the audience watching Getty do his little book reading, if you had told me that the next night I would be not just in the audience, but on stage with Getty, I, wow. Yeah. Now, like I said, been on stage with bunches of people, bunches of times. I was in radio for four decades. This is different. This is my friend. This is somebody I care deeply about. And to have the opportunity to represent the fans and do the q and I, I just loved it. I'm grateful to Meg. I'm grateful to Getty. Mm -hmm. But above all, I'm grateful to the fans. Yeah, yeah. And it was so well-deserved, Donna, and serendipitous. I mean, it makes perfect sense that you should be there at this particular show in Cleveland. I mean, I can't imagine anyone else. And the other thing I wanted but to mention as well, which is the hallmark to the humanity of the Rush family, which is that... I'm sure there is a DJ somewhere for every band who played that band for the first time Absolutely. on the radio. How many of them actually get recognized by the band? That's my point. 50 That's, years you later. Just, yeah. You just made my point. Yeah. You just made my point. Because like I said, the fact that we are still in contact, mm -hmm. the fact that not just me, that other people in their lives who were good to them, who stood up for them, who played their music, the guys in the band never mm -hmm. forgot it. Yeah. Never. And for me, it's with Rush, it's not just about the music. It's about the inspiring way they conducted themselves, the inspiring Absolutely. way they lived their lives, the inspiring Absolutely. way they continued to be consistent and progress and constantly challenge themselves. That's something that I take into my own career. I follow the example of Rush in many ways with what I do, which in a lot of ways couldn't be any more different than being in a rock and roll band. But there are lessons there. And I think one of the valuable things in my effing life is, especially for musicians, is to discover what the secret formula is. What is it about Rush that gave them this longevity as a three-piece band as the same three guys, you know, post the first album, the same three guys in the band through the whole duration of the band's history, what was the formula that made that happen? And it's right there in writing. And, uh, and so Getty said one of the things, we always knew how to make each other laugh. Yeah. Okay. And he said we rarely argued. We were friends. Mm -hmm. And that friendship is so important yeah. okay i mean that's one of the reasons why this band is so special whether 
there's people listening to this that go, I can't stand Rush. Fine with me. But they are decent human beings. And they liked each other. And they really liked playing together. And for so many years, that loyalty to each other persisted. And that's very unusual in our industry. In our industry, somebody kicks off and 10 minutes later, they get him replaced and they get somebody else in there and they're out on the road again, you know? But with Rush, it's like, nah, they would have waited for Neil to come back forever. If, yeah. you know, when he left to go off by himself after he lost his wife and lost his daughter, he went through a period of time where he just, Literally, nobody knew where he was. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like out in the world, riding his motorcycle, just trying to come to terms with what had happened. And that's where Getty said, if there's no Neil, there's no rush. Because yeah. people kept asking him, well, why can't you just like bring in another drummer? He's like, no, mm-hmm. no. These yeah. were friends. Mm-hmm. And friends are loyal to each other. Yeah. And isn't that the kind of quality you want to see in the world? People that like to be together, that enjoy each other's company, mm-hmm. that have a good time doing what they're doing. I, I just find it inspiring and I find it very unusual. Yeah, yeah. There was a work ethic and a self-discipline about Rush that uh, is also inspiring, uh, going back to what Indeed. I was just saying, too. Indeed. And ending the band when it did, and Getty's been pretty public about this uh, in terms of his immediate reaction after that last show, wanting to continue on and being disappointed that they couldn't continue touring and, and making albums. Uh, but there was something that was unique about going out on top and not becoming sort of this nostalgia legacy band uh, well, that's what in, in perpetuity. Said yeah. At one point, he said, we don't want to become a parody of ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Yep. Like there are bands, they can't hit the notes anymore. Mm-hmm. They forget the lyrics. Yeah. And, you know, I'd rather go out on top. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have people remember me at my best. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And for some bands, they're just in it for the money. And, one of the reasons that Neil had to quit was that the tendonitis was getting so bad that he was afraid he wouldn't be able to hold his baby daughter. And he also felt like it was affecting his drumming and he wanted to be remembered at his best. Mm -hmm. And I respect that. I really do. You don't see a lot of that out there these days. Yeah, yeah. And I do. I remember Neil the way he was on tour, the way he was uh, making records. And uh, important for my life in particular was his writing in his books, his travel logs. So inspiring. I've talked about this many times where uh, Ghost Rider, no, it wasn't Ghost Rider. It was uh, The Mast Rider, his very first book, inspired me to start bike riding, which inspired me to quit smoking in, in 2007. And in effect, saving my life. So I always go Indeed. back to that. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. But and there the- are many stories mm-hmm. of people who Rush lyrics spoke to them. Yeah. Rush lyrics resonated with them. Rush lyrics changed them in some way. Mm-hmm. And I understand what that's about. I really do. Yeah. So the fact that we are still talking about this like four decades, almost five decades later. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's very amazing and rare, extremely rare. So, Donna, one of the things I want to talk to you about, apart from Rush, is I want to go back to anti-Semitism, because as a college professor, 
I was wondering if you had any insight in terms of why we're seeing so many college students engaging in anti-Semitic demonstrations. Uh, why are students missing this? Can I, can I this? give you a what hot is, theory? Yeah. Can I give you a hot theory? Yeah. And I blogged about this back in October, okay? And this is not like, hey, you should read my blog. Mm -hmm. But I sincerely believe that a lot of people were apprenticed into anti-Semitism without even realizing it. When I say apprenticed into, there are myths and stereotypes about every group, okay? You have heard myths and stereotypes about Italians, about Irish people, about black people, about, you know, pick a, pick a nationality. There's a stereotype about them. Yeah. Now, there may be a grain of truth in that stereotype, but more often than not, there isn't, okay? Yeah. But for thousands of years, people in Western culture were taught what I believe to be anti-Semitic stereotypes about Jews, associating Jews with money, associating Jews with being greedy, mm -hmm. with being like too powerful, this, that. And as with any stereotype, stereotypes are very subtle, okay? It's not like somebody gets up wearing a big banner saying, let's learn anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. The reality is much more subtle. For example, Shakespeare. Famous play, Merchant of Venice, features a character called Shylock the Jew. And Shylock the Jew, while he does have a couple of moments where Shakespeare kind of humanizes him, the vast majority of the play is a greedy moneylender who loves money more than he loves his own family. Now, I suggest to you that that's a very, very old stereotype. Mm -hmm. Donna, what's your point? Here's my point. Shakespeare never met a Jew. Never met a Jew. The Jews had been tossed out of England as they were tossed out of many Christian countries. And no, I didn't just diss Christianity. I'm giving you a historical fact. Please look it up. Honest, okay? Mm -hmm. Many Christian countries back then were very much my way or hit the highway, okay? And it was like, you can convert or you can leave. And the Jews were given the option of converting to Christianity or leaving. And in most cases, they left. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of Jews left Spain and Portugal and came to America. That's how a lot of Jews just got out of England and settled wherever. But the reality is they weren't really allowed to live in England for like 300 years. So what Shakespeare met when he was writing The Merchant of Venice, he met the stereotype of the rich, greedy Jew. He sure never met any real Jews, because if he met any real Jews, he'd find that we're kind of like everybody else. Mm -hmm. We got good ones. We got bad ones. We got rich ones. We got poor ones. Some of us are greedy. Some of us are not. Some of us are really altruistic and magnanimous. Some of us you wouldn't want to spend five minutes with, <laughs> etc. The same as every ethnic group. Not all Italians are in the mafia. Right. Not all Irish people are drunks, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. And the intelligence of African Americans is exactly the same as the intelligence of white people. White supremacists over there sit, okay? Because what you're saying is demonstrably false. Yeah. But if all you've met 
is the stereotype and you've never met the other in person, yeah, you're going to spread a lot of stereotypes and not even realize it. And it's a very quick slide. 2,000 years of people being exposed to this stuff. And in most cases, never, never meeting a lot of us because we only really make up about 2% of the population, contrary to myth. Okay, and no, we don't run the media and no, we don't own all the major or whatever. I wish we did. My life would be a lot better. <laughs> but, you know, um, actually, we do own the media, but we let you use it a couple of days a week. Okay, so I hope you're grateful and you can say thank you after the show. But the fact is, all of these stereotypes are so ingrained in the culture. Mm -hmm. And it's a very quick slide from I'm angry about Israel-Palestine to I'm angry about those Jews. And if you sat down with us and just talked to us, you might come away with a different view. But sad to say the discourse on social media today doesn't promote that. Yeah. It just promotes the nice, quick, easy stereotype, the nice, quick, easy myth and it's killing people. Yeah. Sad to say, said Donna, putting away her Jewish space laser. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, do you worry about your own safety, given this convergence of Republican yes, fascism I I and anti-Semitism? Like I have students yeah. that absolutely do not like me, huh. not because of me, Donna, but because of this Jewish star that I proudly wear, wow. okay? Yeah. And I've been wearing it for years. And I was told when I was in high school, I was told not to wear it. I was told not to be too Jewish. Hmm. Uh, when I was beaten up and called a Christ killer, which I was, I was absolutely. And the kids that pushed me down that flight of stairs, they had been taught that. Oh, they had been taught that the Jews were somehow like a terrible group of people mm. who killed Jesus, which historically speaking, no, we did not. And sometime let's have a long conversation about historical fact, but myth is often much more powerful. Yeah. And one of the rules, as any autocrat or tyrant will tell you, find an enemy. Look what, look what Trump did. Mm -hmm. He took Mexicans, you know, they're not sending us their best. They're rapists. They, I, excuse me. I got plenty of Mexican friends and colleagues. No, they're not. Right. But if that's what you believe, because the leader said so all over the world, you got autocrats go, oh, you know, the, the problem with our country is Muslims or Sikhs or Jews or, you know, name an ethnic group that we want to distract from our poor performance by getting you to hate them. Don't play. Please don't play. Mm -hmm. If you are told that the problem in society is being caused by them, get really suspicious because people have been trying to manipulate you using that technique for thousands of years. And honest to God, it's led to people getting killed. Yeah. Am I worried about my own safety? Yeah, sometimes I am. Mm -hmm. But you know what? On your feet, not on your knees. I'm yeah. very proud of being Jewish. I like being Jewish. It really works for me. Okay? And I chose it. I'm happy I chose it. Is it for everyone? No. But let a thousand flowers bloom. Find the path that works for you. But if your path is causing you to hate the other, honey, you're on the wrong path. 
because the path you should be looking for is the path that leads you to inner peace and a willingness to have people who are different be in your space as long as they're not trying to impose stuff on you. Mm. I get tons of Christian friends. I get Buddhist friends, Muslim friends, Hindu friends. Why wouldn't I? Do we agree on everything? No. But so what? Let's all go get cookies. You know, the bottom line is not just can't we all get along, although that's a lovely sentiment, but can't we look at each other as human beings and reject the stereotype? Wouldn't that be nice? And wouldn't some of these craven politicians be doing the world a favor if they would be doing less stirring up people against them Mm -hmm. and more looking in the mirror and fixing their own selves? Right, right. There's a theory, Donna, that uh, the lack of memory, direct memory of World War II is contributing to this new embracing of fascism, this new embracing of anti-Semitism, where you have fewer and fewer people who actually remember the events of the Holocaust and what happened in the world during that span of time. And Uh, that's why it's important to tell the story. Exactly. But you know what? Douglas Rushkoff, R-U-S-H-K-O-F-F, nothing to do with Rush, although I'm sure he likes Rush. (laughs) Douglas Rushkoff wrote a wonderful book called Present Shock. Mm Mm-hmm. When everything is happening now, we are living in a world where everything is happening now, Mm -hmm. where this outrage is quickly replaced by that outrage, which is quickly replaced by some other outrage, and where people have no historical narrative. They're not looking back on, where did this come from? Has this ever happened before? Have people done this in the past? Should I be suspicious of this? Is there a hidden agenda here? No, it's like, oh my God, look at what those immigrants are doing. This is an outrage, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Fox News claims that that that, that, um, car crash on the Peace Bridge going across from Buffalo to Canada, oh my God, it was terrorist. No, it wasn't Mm -hmm. terrorist. It was a car out of control. There were no explosives in the car. There were no Muslims. None of that stuff happened. And yet immediately, the quick leap is, oh, a car exploded. It must be a car bomb and it must be terrorist. I'm like, okay, but we have no historical narrative where we look at the number of times that people have tried this and ask ourselves, why are they trying to stir us up? No, no, we're just outraged now. It's outrageous. And then some other thing comes out on TikTok and we're outraged about that. So we've got the memory of a flea. Yeah. We're not taking time to think about where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. Yep. And I repeat, it's hurting people. Yeah. It's hurting Getty. It's hurting me. Mm -hmm. It's hurting those innocent Muslims in Vermont who were walking down a street and a hater shot them. It's hurting innocent people. And we have to take a stand in the matter and say, I don't want that in my space. You hear an ethnic joke. You hear somebody sending you some video where they're just mocking the other. You're like, no. Absolutely not. I'm not playing. I'm not forwarding this to everyone I know. I'm just going to go squish like you're deleted. Bye. Mm -hmm. So we got to do more of that. We got to take a stand against prejudice and hate. And we got to deal with the actual issues and look at the narrative so that we know how we got here. 
said Donna off on a rant, but you asked. <laughs> well, You're probably sorry you did. No, no, Donna. Oh my you talk God. Too much. I worry me to death. <laughs> this has been one of my favorite talks of the year, Donna. Thank you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate it. What I know you're not feeling to be well. On your show. Yeah, it's and it's a privilege for me. I swear to God, you're a great friend. You're a lovely, wonderful person, and I could just sit here and listen to you talk all damn day. I should just come up and audit one of your classes. Maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do that. Um, well, so, you're always welcome, and I am deeply grateful to be on your show. And I don't know what else to say other than. Friendship matters. It does. And we come from different places. We come from different worlds. Mm -hmm. But we're united yeah. in our love of communication, our love of rush, and our respect for friendship. Yep. And also our willingness to talk politics, but talk politics based on facts yep. rather than just like smearing people. Because I just, nah, okay? I got friends that believe in every candidate you can possibly imagine. Can't we have a talk without calling each other names? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I respect about you. We can have a talk and it's respectful and it's loving. And babe, I am so glad I know you. Oh, same. Absolutely same, Donna. Where can people find your blog and find you on Twitter? Well, they can uh, find me in all kinds of places, actually. <laughs> in fact, a quick Google search will find my blog, there you go. which is uh, dlhalperblog at blogspot.com. Right. But just seriously, just search Donna Halper on various search engines, and there I am. Website is www.donnahalper.com, and I'm always happy to talk to people. I do answer my emails, and... Thank you so much again for just the privilege of being on your show. Oh, thank you, Donna. Mwah. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs>